Welcome to the Injection Connection, in-depth discussions with thought leaders and professionals in the polyurethane infrastructure repair industry. Well, welcome everybody to another uh, podcast of the Injection Connection. I'm the Grout Geek, Charlie Lerman, and I have Aaron Rothman with me, who I'll get to in just a moment here. I want to do kind of a little setup here. Um, what I want to talk about today is I and I. And so I think my perception is a lot of people out there first off are scratching their heads and going, well, what is even I and I? So let, I'm going to turn it around rather than explaining what it is at first. I want to explain why you should even care about it. Um, how many people out there feel that our tax dollars, like $188 million, and this is just for the state of Tennessee, should be spent to treat groundwater? I'm not talking about water, you, you know, sewage, rain, that kind of stuff. I'm talking about just groundwater that's just sitting there in our ground and we're spending $188 or $188 million a year on. Um, but that's basically what's happening uh, from the study that was done in 2014 uh, in Tennessee. They found that about 45% of the water that's being treated um, at our, our um, treatment plants there is just groundwater just coming in there. But you don't ever hear about this talking, even, even with this new infrastructure bill you hear coming out, you don't hear a ton of rehab for our sewer systems. And this is becoming a, a well, not becoming, it, it is a giant issue and it needs to come to light here. So Erin has uh, joined us. She is the founder and CEO of Storm Sensor. So Erin, thank you very much for joining us. You, <laughs> You are muted. Thank there you we for go. having me. Yep. <laughs> Apologies. There you go. The wonders of Zoom. So, yes. um, so, so Aaron, um, first off, I, I guess let's talk about what does Storm Sensor do? Uh, so generally, we work with cities across the country to understand how and how much water moves through their storm sewer and coastal systems. So we're deployed in um, every region of the United States. We are in sanitary systems, combined systems, and storm systems, and now we're also looking above ground. And we're basically monitoring uh, the volume of water that's moving through these systems and then combining that data um, with climate information as well. So we can identify trends that may be tied to storm events uh, versus those that are, like you said, related more to groundwater or other INI issues. Right, okay, so so ideally then you, what you're gaining like uh, uh, real-time data that mm -hmm. says what's going on in your system rather than just sometimes just some snapshot stuff. Exactly, so we typically deploy for a minimum of a year, uh, pretty dense resolution networks. Um, some are installed at almost every junction just because the, these systems are so variable that understanding what's happening between them can give you an idea of where you can target specific uh, mitigation actions. So, um... Have you ever found or identified anything that just like an anomaly, something that's completely unexpected that you surprised the city with or anything like that? Once or twice, yes. Right? <laughs> so. um, one example was in Memphis. Um, we were doing, or uh, we're working as part of a larger group to do a model validation study for their storm system because Memphis was dealing with a lot of flooding. And most model validation studies have sensors that are deployed in a limited uh, number of locations and for a very short period of time. So we're up to like maybe three months, but one to three months usually. And we were deployed for about six months before we got a call to say that all of our sensors were broken. 
because we were reading four feet of depth, uh, four feet of water in all of the pipes and it was flowing backwards and all that was impossible. And this is why, you know, whoever was running the project didn't like new tech technology. And we're thinking like for every sensor to show this, there's got to be something. I mean, we've never seen it with one sensor, but if the whole thing's uh, acting up. So we called the city and they had no idea what was going on. We asked them to go check it out. And they said, oh my gosh, there is four feet of water in these pipes and it's flowing backwards. Uh, what could possibly be going on? So they talked to the guys at the plant on the Mississippi River and they said, oh yeah, every time the river hits a certain stage, we open up the, the gates and then use the storm system for, for storage. But you're telling me that it goes more than a mile into the system. So what we had is a situation where no one really understood that the river was filling the, the storm system and taking up at least half the capacity on a pretty regular basis. And when you have high water levels in the river, you also tend to have pretty strong <laughs> rain events. So when you combine uh, heavy rain and high water levels, all of which are going into a storm system that is designed to hold only rainwater, um, you have some pretty significant flooding impacts. So now what they do is before this, a storm comes, they close the gates, empty out the storm system and, and clear that out for wow, that, That's just classic of the right hand not knowing what the left hand's doing there. Exactly, and it's underground, so you can't see it. It's not like someone's constantly checking until yep. you have a way to do that. So yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, that, that's just incredible, wow. So mm -hmm. um, so, so how, did, how did you get into this and how did you end up starting uh, Storm Center? What, what led you to this? Well, I think everyone's dream is to work in a sewer. So of course <laughs> we start there. Um, but I was a vice president at a consulting company in Seattle when we brought in this 2010, 2012, uh, and we brought in a stormwater group. And um, for the first time in our company's history, we were losing money and we couldn't figure out why. And when I talked to my stormwater team, they said that every time it rained at the office, they had to go sample their sites, but just because it was raining here doesn't mean it was raining there. So they're going out like four times before they can collect a sample. And I said, that's the silliest thing I've ever heard. Why don't we just have a rain gauge that texts us when it rains? And they said, why don't you go invent that? And I said, I will, I'm going to call it storm sensor. So that's how it started as a little, you know, sparkle in my eye. Right. Uh, but I had no hardware or software experience at the time. And I didn't know that I could even begin to put together a company like that. Um, but as I started talking to more people in the stormwater industry and learned that there was a lot of frustration and so much of it related to not knowing what was going on within these systems, um, I realized that maybe I could solve this problem with a team of brilliant people who could actually build the things that were in my head. And yeah, so that's how it started. And that's we were spectacular. Yeah, first on construction and industrial compliance because that was my background and started talking to cities and they, so many of them said they just needed to know how much water was moving through their storm system. I had no idea that, or storm system, sanitary system, that that wasn't metered and we didn't know. So that just opened up a world of opportunity to me. Right, we right. To go. Yes. Wow, that, 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 that's excellent. And, and it's, the thing a, a lot with our industry and when you deal with below grade infrastructure, is there's a lot of needs, but they're not really well defined, or, or anybody even focuses on them because it is. It's it's out of sight, out of mind, you, you know. And, and I've often uh, say, you know, even, even for for grouting, our biggest competitor is not another grout company. It's ignorance. People just don't understand that this kind of technology, these type of repairs, or this monitoring, is even out there to to, to do. Right. And 
and, and I think some of the part of it is, is how it's set up because, you know, municipalities, um, they're on tight budgets. Obviously, we want them that way. We, we don't want to just throw money at them, but we also want them to use it right. But you get a lot of people where they start off at the low level of municipalities and then there's turnover. They move up, they go on to other things. And so a lot of information is lost there. So it's not necessarily that the government's just bad. It's just it's kind of the, the nature of it. We all want to grow in our careers, but these things get left behind. Absolutely. And then the people paying for it, which are the you know citizens and taxpayers, they want to see the benefit of what they're spending their money on. And if you can't see it, then why would you pay for something that you can't see that you can't understand? And right. the only no, and, and, they want you to fix it is once it stops working and it's too late because you're dealing with flooding and backups and um, paying too much for treatment and everything else. And, and oddly enough, going back to that study, like the, the $188 million, paying that is actually the easy part of it. I mean, not that that's fun for us or anything like that, <laughs> but what it comes down to is that that inflow also causes damage to infrastructure when you see sinkholes and that kind of stuff. And those things, I, I mean, you're talking about damage to property, potentially uh, 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 harm or, or you know life-threatening conditions. And then also you're looking at when these systems overflow, you're putting septic you know out there in, in the public, damaging our waterways and our health. Yes, and our homes and our businesses and the people who live there and are working in literally working in sewage in their homes. That's right. Terrible. And it's becoming no. still more common. Yep. So <laughs> I just, I still think about that comment you made about everyone to be in sewers. I, I've been in sewers in almost all 50 states. So uh, it's just, yeah, it's not the coffee uh, table book that everybody wants to look at there. <laughs> they don't know it yet. That's the thing. Once once they see what's under, well, yeah, you're yeah. right. <laughs> anyone wants to see. Uh, so, um, and, and we've already kind of addressed this. So, so maybe this is already covered here, but, uh, We've talked about that it's out of sight, out of mind, but do you think there's any other reasons or any systemic problems while it's kind of ignored? I mean, our infrastructure in general, I think, has a, what, a D or a D minus rating in the United States? Mm -hmm. uh, I think D plus. Oh, oh so we're at the, yeah. head of the class. <laughs> yes, there are a couple of states that are pulling us up. Right. Um, so... It, any any ideas or, or are you part of there are there trade organizations something that to help build with this type of awareness? Um, well, as far as the trade organizations, of course, there's American Waterworks and American Society for Civil Engineers. Um, but as far as why we're in this pickle, um, outside of the fact that it's out of sight, out of mind, like you said, um, it's also exceptionally expensive, and oftentimes when you're focusing on uh, maintenance, and you can't, again, see the immediate impact or the immediate value of what you're spending or what you're doing, um, the inclination to continue doing that and focus on ongoing maintenance tends to fall off. And as a result, we kind of are basically operating a run to failure model, whereas if we spent a relatively little amount of maintenance to keep these systems up, um, and then if, especially if we knew where maintenance is required, there's also that we don't know. Um, we don't know where to target it, so we kind of do a general across the board, every manhole, every, you know, outfall, everything has to be checked on a schedule instead of on, an, on a need. So anyway, not focusing on that or doing it in too broad of a, an unfocused manner means that we're missing some of the big issues and not addressing some of those issues, which then ultimately result in backups, overflows, and significant costs um, to the community. Right. So, so do you, um, 
do you ever get involved with, say, like a, a, a EPA uh, consent decree where they've come down and said, you know, your system's all hosed up here. We need to get this fixed and you're going to do it in this time frame. Did, did they ever call you into that type of monitoring or anything like that? The consent decree programs we've been a part of have been on the combined sewer side. So, and a lot of that is looking at obviously when a overflow is happening, how significant the overflow is. Um, we can quantify it given um, in tidal locations. So being able to separate different tidal source or flow sources. Um, but then really in doing that, really understanding the total volume that needs to be addressed instead of the modeled volume and incorporating that into the long-term control plans. Gotcha, gotcha. yeah. yeah Cause you know, a lot, a lot of times, I, at least from, from my perspective, a lot of municipalities, especially when they're slapped with a consent decree, just think we just need to increase the system. We need to make it bigger. We need a bigger plant yeah, bigger. or something like that. Yes, increase the budget to pay the fines. Yep. Right. <laughs> so, and, and and mitigation oftentimes is 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 a a great solution that helps or or, or even gets them to where they need to be. Exactly. So, and there are all yeah. different ways you can do it. It's not just you know increase the size of the pipe and put them over there. No, and then that's obviously with chemical grouting we come in, that's a small portion of, you know, how to control some things. And and also with chemical grouting, you find just just right there at the manhole, because, you know, a lot of these pals like, well, we don't have the budget to start this, or we don't even know where to start. Um, there's some really simple things. I, I mean, when you look at a 10 gallon a minute leak in a manhole, that is roughly, depending on what part of the country you're in, between about twelve dollars to $25,000 a year in treatment costs. And, and something like that, What's that? That's one leak. Right, one leak. One resource. And, and something like that in the manhole, those are usually super easy to repair. We're talking, you know, a couple thousand dollars one day, you, you know, one crew out there, and they can immediately, you see that $3,000 you paid to, to fix that manhole saves, you know, $25,000 that year. So, okay. so it, it's very simple stuff. And, and we just, I really feel that we need some champions out there to, to, Get people to understand this and, and bring it up and, and, and maybe some type of push with our legislators so so we can get someone to understand this. This is kind of a, a passion thing that, I, that I've found. And, you know, it goes great with uh, we're, we're trying to be more environmentally friendly and sound and we're saving money at the same time. Who Who's against this kind of thing? And I don't understand why we're not doing more of it. Exactly. And providing jobs for the people to do the maintenance and filling the, or creating those repairs. 100%. Yeah. 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 So. Well, it sounds like we're preaching to the choir there. <laughs> yes. All right. So we've we've talked about, uh, and, and I threw it right in the beginning there. I guess we talked about some some of the interesting jobs. Is, is there another uh, uh, job a note or or interesting thing that comes up from from your investigations or your studies? Oh, all kinds of things because um, you just can't see it. So everyone has an idea of how the systems are operating, and assume that they're operating as designed. So, for example. Um, storm systems are supposed to be dry when it's not raining and wet when it is raining. Um, and due to either illicit discharges or INI issues, uh, what we've started doing in our dashboard summaries is providing a level of base flow and the available capacity within these systems because they're not actually empty. They're actually uh, quite active at almost all times. Uh, we have reverse flow in areas where that's impossible because we have a siphon, but the siphon gets clogged. Um, we have all kinds of maintenance issues like that where we can spot an anomaly in the data and we get notified or our customers get notified and they can go address it. But a lot of it has to do just with um, reality, uh, counteracting models and expectations. Gotcha, gotcha. 
All right. And and so kind of to, to wrap this up, I greatly appreciate you jump on. These are just little short podcasts that we like to do. Um, I want to share something interesting I saw or, or nasty or however you want to look at it in the sewer and see if you yeah. also have something just uh, <laughs> weird or something that you spotted down there. I was in Georgia, Tipton, Georgia, to be specific. And we opened up this manhole. And, and first off, it all looked really brown, which is normal in there. And then all of a sudden it changed colors and I realized it was just a wall of roaches moving. And then looking yeah. more, uh-uh. <laughs> there was two of them that were albinos, which yeah. I had never seen. And those were just the oh, weirdest looking things. So, so yeah, uh, that's. Uh, no, I, I have um, given all those sewers I've been in. I also have pretty significant claustrophobia. Ooh. And also before a pandemic hit, I don't go to gyms or anything because I think sweat like effluvia is gross so here i am in sewers i take my tyvex and everything because i'm so freaked out with all of the bugs down there i can't get them on me or near me or anything um but i have yeah i've you know climbing down to the sewers and the old bricks from the really old systems crumble and you beneath your feet which is terrifying um i've stepped there's been something in you know, you're in waders and some of these combined systems and there's right. something in the water that's like tracking you and bumping against Ooh. leg that happened. Um, and you, you can't get out. Right. <laughs> um, and then on the other hand, there are times when it's so hot and you have this kind of that hydrogen sulfide odor. And I think as I'm sweating, smelling that people pay thousands of dollars to go to spas to have a very similar experience. That's funny. And we're missing a whole entire market opportunity <laughs> with some of these systems. Hydrogen sulfide spa day, <laughs> right? That'll exfoliate. So. So, uh, you have to look at it optimistically. Right. Well, excellent, Aaron. Thank you very much for, for being on this podcast with us. It is absolutely my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Charlie. Take care.